0: Hi I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 254 of my podcast Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Finally April has produced some warmer weather albeit short bursts of sunshine in between chilly hail showers but it's given me a chance to take a first peek inside some of our colonies. Listen in to hear what I discovered. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, welcome back to my podcast. I hope you've enjoyed last week's slight variation in format, my interview with Stephen Barnes. Hopefully there'll be more of those to come, but this week, back to my more normal chat about the week we've just had and what's likely to happen in the coming week. As I mentioned in the intro we've had some very changeable weather conditions over the last week and still the chill of early spring clings on and has been a major cause of delays to our full first inspections. I don't think there's any huge problem with that for most of our colonies. The colder weather appears to have held back a large number of our overwintered colonies and for the most part Larger full brood box colonies have been the exception rather than the rule. Don't get me wrong we have some very nice looking colonies and these are going to need attention certainly in the next week but for the most part our overwintered stocks appear to have been held back somewhat by this cold spring weather. In general the daytime temperatures for the last week have held close to 10 or 11 degrees celsius Not great but for the few colonies that I needed to take a quick look at warm enough. A very quick look you understand not really inspections and that's just as well because the main oilseed rape pollination colonies have a position that seems to be the windiest place in the UK, certainly the windiest place I could have chosen at this particular site. It's been blowing a gale and the knock-on effect of this is the dramatic wind chill effect. It's felt bitterly cold, simply not warm enough for inspecting honeybee colonies without doing some serious damage to them in terms of chilling what little brood they probably have. When I was able to take a quick look it was interesting to see how the nukes were developing particularly. Full-size colonies always fluctuate in size it seems. The strongest colonies going into winter can end up being tiny by the time Easter has passed and those smallest of colonies somehow turn into monstrously large colonies and swarm as soon as there's a hint of warm sunshine but let's not talk up any swarms just yet though although as usual reports of queen cells abound social media already. One of the current issues is those smaller colonies and their early development. Having such a small number of adult bees naturally leads on to them not being able to grow particularly quickly now that the sun is shining. So why are they so slow to build up? Well, it's all down to their ability to nurture young larvae and keep them alive so they can grow and develop into adult bees. With the brood nest temperature needing to be maintained at a cosy 34 or 35 degrees Celsius, it takes a lot of bees to keep them that warm, particularly overnight. Hence, a small number of workers know naturally means there will be a smaller brood nest for them to take care of. They're not going to produce more than they can cope with. This means fewer emerging workers in each round of brood rearing for a short while until they have many more adult bees that can protect their young. Obviously we hope that as the month of April progresses both daytime and nighttime temperatures will average upwards and there becomes less pressure on the workers to maintain brood nest warmth and more to forage and feed. But as I've said before, we are looking to replace lost colonies by splitting double brood colonies this spring, so we need them to grow as quickly as they possibly can. Patience Stuart, that's what's required here. Later in the week, this is last week, I visited the allotment apiary where we currently have just two colonies. One was in a double nuke box. This is one of the poor four-frame nukes, so two four-frame nuke boxes, one stacked on top of the other, so eight frames in total. The other is a set hive that had a reasonably large colony in it going into the winter. It was an interesting visit to say the least. Firstly, the double nuke setup was doing great lots of bees and a queen laying eggs in every possible space. I do think the honey nukes and hives offer superb overwintering protection for our colonies. The insulating properties of these poly boxes works brilliantly and that's why I think this nucleus colony was preparing to swarm. Yep, they had six frames of brood between the two boxes, total of eight remember, and sat in the middle were two fully charged swarm cells. Before you dash off in a mad panic that all of your colonies are going to swarm, just have a think as to what state your bees are in and the likelihood that they will be preparing to swarm. This is the only colony out of all of ours that we've seen so far that have any form of preparation for swarming and it's fairly obvious exactly what the cause for this is. They're cramped for space, it's as simple as that. Before I go on it's interesting to see that there were just a couple of swarm cells in this colony not row upon row of swarm cells. Now this could be for a number of reasons but I always like to see just a small number of swarm cells in a spring colony not 50 plus. My record thus far is 58. I think I might have mentioned that before. 58 swarm cells and of course I found 57 and they still swarmed on me. I wouldn't advise producing splits from a colony that's developed 58 swarm cells. It's only going to produce very swarmy bees, I would suspect. So, if you're looking for colonies to use as parent colonies or donor colonies, go for those that only have a small number, maybe 6 to 12 swarm cells at most. Anyway, back to my double nuke with the two swarm cells. They really needed to go into something with a bit more space, so we put them into a full size hive. This gives them a couple of additional frames. Our Langstroth hives take 10 brood frames, and that should be enough to see them through the coming week before I take another look at them. Oh, for the sake of clarity, I did remove the two swarm cells that I found. Just to finish off, I also moved all of the brood from the two nuke boxes into the middle of the new hive so they weren't divided by a frame of food. It's one of those exceptions to the rule of keeping all of the brood frames in the same position as you transfer them across to a new box, as you would if you had just purchased a six-frame nuke that you're simply moving into a full-size hive. It just lets the bees take better care of the brood if all of that brood is in one place. The other colony here at the Allotments Apiary was a completely different story. So, A bit of backstory for you. This colony, already in a Technoset 10 frame hive, was a swarm from the exact same colony that was in the nuke box. The original queen was in the swarm that we collected along with the mix of bees that swarmed with her, and the new queen was left in the nuke box with the remaining bees. Both colonies have survived the winter, which is always nice to see, but the old queen in the Technoset hive appears to be in some difficulty. Let me explain. You will at some point hear of something called spotty brood and a lot of beekeepers will leap to various conclusions as to what's causing it. American fowl brood, varroa damage, chalk brood and even an inbred queen. All of which could be the cause and this is where you need to put on your Sherlock Holmes deerstalker hat and grab your magnifying glass. I wouldn't suggest a pipe because obviously that's bad for your health. However, there will be signs within the frame to lead you to a sound, educated deduction regarding what has caused the problem. Firstly, AFB. If this is the cause, you won't just see spotty brood. You'll also see dead larvae, scale, that's the dead, desiccated larvae, and you'll likely as not see wet cappings, possibly sunken in appearance. So that's not what I was seeing. We can breathe a sigh of relief and cross that one off our list. If Varroa damage is the cause, you will also see other damage as well. Cells with holes picked in them, also something to look out for an AFB, but dead larvae once more. And also, one very strong signal here would be a dwindling and sick looking population of workers. Again, this isn't what I was looking at. The adult bees here. all healthy and moving around freely and there were no other signs of disease so we can rule out varroa damage I would suggest. What of chalk brood? Well for the most part you will probably see some chalky remains still in cells. It can be quite difficult for the workers to remove some of the dead larvae as they begin to dry out so the signs of chalk brood will still be visible in the cells most likely. The best and most obvious sign of chalk brood are the chalky lumps left on the floor of the hive. More often than not, the worker bees will either remove the chalk brood and let it fall to the floor of the hive, or it will dry out and fall out of its own accord. Either way, the evidence will be clear to see. So, no chalk brood visible in this colony either. The list of possible issues grows shorter. What about an inbred queen? This is where a newly emerged virgin queen heads off on her mating flight and ends up mating with closely related drones. This in turn causes a range of issues but can result in larvae being removed from cells prior to emergence as adult workers, usually prior to the cells being capped. So here we have a possible candidate for the problem that I've seen in this colony. There are no other signs or symptoms, just empty cells where there should be healthy sealed brood. So maybe we have an inbred queen. But hang on one moment, I've not seen this before in this colony. Thinking back to when this queen was heading up a colony prior to swarming, they seemed fine. So for me, there's only one other answer that might be the cause. A failing queen. This is where a queen that has been laying normally, for some reason, starts to lay eggs that are not going to develop into healthy, mature adult workers and so are removed by the attendant adult workers. There are a number of reasons this situation may arise. I guess most beekeepers would, in the first instance, look at the age of the queen. As an aside, it's a good reason for marking your queen. If you follow the usual colour scheme protocol for marking your queens, you'll quickly know her age. It might always be age-related though, a poorly mated queen could easily fail in her first year. I've had this happen many times over the years, particularly with the first round of mated queens in early spring, perhaps a consequence of poor weather or insufficient drones. But whatever the age of the queen, a lack of sperm, damage or injury to her egg-laying organs could quickly lead to eggs that should be fertilised when being laid being laid as unfertilised eggs and subsequently being removed by workers, leaving a patchy or spotty brood pattern. Of course, these eggs may be left in the cells, in which case you would see odd drone cells popping up in otherwise nice slabs of worker brood. It's also something to look out for. There could be issues with disease that are hidden from the beekeeper's view that might also cause a spotty brood pattern. But whatever the reason, what I have in this particular colony is what appears to be a failing queen so we will have to do something about it fairly quickly. I'll keep her going for as long as we can right now. I would ideally like a couple of more weeks before trying to replace her so that the drone populations can grow a little more and give any virgin queens out on mating flights a chance to successfully mate. Otherwise we could be back at this point in just a few weeks time following mating. I do need to get a few more colonies into this apiary. It's something of a waste of time travelling here for two colonies. What I really need is a few swarming colonies that I can make splits with but again I want to hold off for a short while longer to secure better mating opportunities. A dozen colonies here would make the trip worthwhile and actually it's a great location for a honey crop. We're surrounded by housing estates on three sides and all of those garden plants that have been planted here. And on the fourth side is our local River Yare, and an abundance of flowering plants, particularly the summer brambles that stretch along the riverbanks for miles. Their roots always in the water, so hopefully any drought conditions this year won't badly affect them. During my travels last week I did check in on several of our honeypore langstroth colonies and I have to say the more I use them the more I enjoy using them. The bees certainly seem to enjoy being in them over winter. The vast majority of our honeypore colonies are building strongly and will very soon need an additional brood box in preparation for splitting. When I compare these hives to the others that I've used I do think that they are my favourites and I particularly like the fact that they're lightweight, especially as I gave myself a bit of a fright last week. It's bad back time again folks. This time I think purely muscular rather than any prolapse disc issues that I've had before, but it was a timely reminder that we all really have to take care of our backs, in fact our health generally. I was at the meadow in Essex giving one final check to the colonies in the commercial hives that I'm selling and those should be collected next week. Incidentally, I discovered two drone laying colonies out of the 22 that were there. It's a shame that they get all the way through the winter, only to go drone layer right at the end. Anyway, stooping and lifting roofs and boxes on pallets is a surefire way to mess up your back after a long winter layoff, so do take care people. It's always when you least expect it, and as I get older, I find it takes so much longer for me to recover. That said, a heat pad and a rest, and all was well again. And lucky for me, it was just in time for me to celebrate my 60th birthday last week. For those of you who know, my special birthday present arrived just in time. My family bought me a queen rearing setup that's going to be used in the John Harding method that I've been talking about recently. My thanks particularly to obviously my family but also to thorn beehives particularly Jill and Paul for arranging the modifications and for getting it to me in time for my birthday. It was a real treat to open and all I have to do now is put it together and populate it with bees before we start queen rearing. But more of that in the coming weeks. Well that's me done for this week I'll catch up with you all again in a week's time don't forget to check out my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk and for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates tips and techniques it's the same Patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey and remember I'm Stuart Sphinx and that was beekeeping short and sweet.